Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, April 6th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the latest from Governor Reeves on the shelter-in-place order. And faced with this pandemic, uh, it was a matter of doing it because it's in the interest of our country as a whole. We talk with Congressman Benny Thompson about the federal effort to combat the COVID-19 pandemic. Then how the Mississippi Medical Association is responding to challenges presented by the coronavirus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is entering its third full day under a statewide shelter-in-place order. Governor Tate Reeves issued the order last week amidst pressure from local leaders and health officials. Friday afternoon, before the order took effect, Reeves explained the measure is designed to protect Mississippians. You're protecting your parent, your spouse, your friend, your neighbor, and more by committing to follow the rules. You're protecting yourself. And I'm here to tell you today that this virus is bad. Previous generations were called to world wars. We were called to stay at home for a little while. I miss church. I miss sports. I miss hanging out with friends. I know you do too. It's not fun, but it's the right tool at the right time to protect us from this enemy. Our shelter-in-place order will be enforced. It must be taken seriously. Lives are on the line. I want to put some minds at ease, though. If you try to comply with the spirit of the order, you're going to be okay. You don't need to fear some overbearing government action. We are asking our law enforcement officers to understand that this is brand new for all of us, and most are trying to get it right. Mississippi is still not China, thank God. The order urges people to stay home with the exception of essential travel, including visits to grocery stores and banks. Reeves also states individual outdoor activities are permitted. Reeves also delivered candid information regarding the death projections in Mississippi, which he says could be exacerbated by some of the state's vulnerable demographics. Um, The White House uh, has estimated that we could see between 1,000, excuse me, 100,000 and 250,000 deaths in the United States of America. 
between 100,000 and 250,000 American lives lost because of the spread of this virus. Mississippi represents a little over 1% of the American population, uh, which would suggest that Mississippi could see between 1,000 and 2,500 deaths if we simply had a rate that was similar to everyone else in the country. But remember, Ross, what I told you yesterday. The state of Louisiana, their current rate of death is seven times higher than that of the state of New York. Why is the state of Louisiana's death toll higher? Uh, in large part, and again, these are physicians, they, they're the experts, but in large part it's because of their demographics. It's because of um, the fact that, uh, generally speaking, uh, many of their residents are um, less healthy uh, when they initially get the virus. They t we tend to have older populations uh, in Mississippi and Louisiana. And our demographics, unfortunately, are more similar to Louisianians than, than we are to uh, some of the other parts of the country. And so um, there could be um, a significant amount of, of deaths uh, in our state. Uh, there are going to be a significant amount. There's already been a significant amount of deaths in our state. Too many, far too many have already passed away from this virus. But as we move into this next phase, as we move into the next 10 to 21 days, uh, it is critically important that uh, the people of Mississippi adhere to the rules that are at hand, then we will lessen the impact um, to the extent possible. According to the most recent report from the Mississippi Department of Health, there have been 43 COVID-19 related deaths in Mississippi with 1,638 cases. Data from the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation indicates the state will hit its peak on April 22nd, two days after the shelter-in-place order expires. The Department of Health is continuing its aggressive testing strategy this week through additional one-day collection sites. Two sites will be available today between 9 and 4, one in Ripley and the Tippa County Coliseum, the other at the Tippa County Coliseum, and the other in Moss Point across from City Hall. Anyone experiencing symptoms related to COVID-19 and feels they should be tested must first go through a free screening from a UMMC clinician through the Seaspire Health UMMC triage app. To stay current on the latest developments concerning the coronavirus in Mississippi, visit mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Coming up, we talk with Congressman Benny Thompson about the federal effort to combat the pandemic. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Michelle McAdoo. Join me along with Tara Wren for a special program, Mississippi Education Connection, a show dedicated to providing up-to-date educational resources for teachers, parents, guardians, and students. Each week, experts and guests will discuss how to educate Mississippi's youth throughout the coronavirus pandemic. That's Mississippi Education Connection, Friday mornings at 10 a.m., only on MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition. I'm Karen Brown. 
Political leaders at the state and national levels continue to develop ways to combat the spread of the coronavirus and the financial hardships that have accompanied the various measures put in place to enforce social distancing. The most notable piece of legislation to date is the CARES Act, a $2 trillion stimulus package designed in part to aid working Americans and small businesses. Congressman Benny Thompson, a Democrat representing Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District, joins our Michael Guidry to discuss the CARES Act, the White House Task Force, and the lack of data reported by the Mississippi Department of Health. This bill passed uh, without a single dissenting vote. There were some people who had some concerns, but uh, faced with this pandemic, uh, it was a matter of doing it because it's in the interest of our country as a whole. Uh, One of the real thing I like about uh, the CARES Act is it basically leaves no person out. Uh, If you are an American citizen, there are parts of this program that you can benefit from. Taking the barber, the beautician, the waitress, uh, the janitor, uh, the person who is a personal trainer, uh, in a gym. We've taken the lawn care specialists. Uh, all those individuals are included in this package. So I really like about the fact that those individuals who go to work every day, work hard, but nonetheless are impacted by this, we take care of them. Now, in addition to that, uh, what I like about it is a lot of the businesses that are adversely impacted we make loans available uh, to them. Uh, if they follow the guidelines uh, under the loans and keep people working, uh, at the end of the terms of the loan, uh, we will consider making that loan a grant. We recognize clearly that this is something we've never been faced with as a country. Why did House leadership find it necessary to negotiate the funding of things like the Kennedy Center and the Endowments for the Arts and Humanities when many colleagues across the aisle felt that that type of money was a little bit frivolous? We didn't have a choice uh, in the matter. You either was for the entire bill or you had to vote against it. So members did not have a choice uh, to say, I will vote for certain items and against others. So while there were a number of people who would have had reservations about funding certain aspects of it, uh, they looked at the bill in its entirety and said, well, uh, I'll have to take uh, the bill in its entirety and support it because it's the right thing to do. There are reports that those direct deposits and checks might not be available till September. You said that the regulations are starting to come out. How does that help a jobless family survive the pandemic through April and May if some of those deposits and checks aren't available for months? Well, I can't believe that this administration uh, would be so incompetent as to not get uh, checks out in a more expeditious manner. Uh, At one point this week, They said if you didn't file income tax, you'd have to go to Internal Revenue, fill out a form, and then send that form to the Social Security. Well, in about a day's time, we got that issue resolved. So now the good thing about this country 
if the will to make it happen uh, is there, and if the Trump administration uh, really understand the the impact of pushing out uh, five months uh, forward these kind of payments, they will figure it out. Uh, I trust the pressure that they will receive over the next few days will turn that around. Uh, and I, along with a number of other people, will be pressing them to get that money out to do as soon as possible. Even to the casual observer, there seems to be a disconnect between the various state responses and the federal response to this pandemic. Uh, that could be from the sporadic applications of the Defense Protection Act to the handling of the federal stockpile and the distribution of equipment. It seems very piecemeal. How effective is a piecemeal approach? Well, a piecemeal approach only means that more people will die, more people will suffer. And the public assumes that there's a system in place uh, for situations like this so that when they occur, uh, the system or the plans are implemented. Unfortunately, the record reflects that the individual and agency tasked with uh, assignments with respect to pandemics, the Trump administration did away with. And so all of a sudden, you've had to piecemeal uh, this effort. Now, uh, even by piecemealing it, just the moment we thought everything was on track with FEMA assuming primary responsibility, we just find out uh, that uh, the president has put his son-in-law uh, over handling the response. Is the official position of, of FEMA director uh, and a, a position that is appointed with the advice and consent of the Senate? Uh, that's correct. Uh, that is uh, the president's appointee. Uh, generally, you would want someone who has had experience in emergency management. And so uh, from time to time, uh, that person serves, obviously, at the will and pleasure uh, of the president. And so just in the, pre in the press conference yesterday, uh, the FEMA director was about to talk. And the president butted in and indicated that his son-in-law uh, uh, was handling uh, the final say-so on the FEMA response. His son-in-law being uh, Jared uh, Kushner. Jer Jared Kushner. Is Jared Kushner in a position in the White House administration that is appointed by the advice and consent of the Senate? Uh, no. He is strictly uh, President Trump's son-in-law. And uh, the president, because he's commander-in-chief, decides that uh, his relatives are smarter than people who go to school for it, smarter than our admirals, smarter than our generals, who are basically trained uh, over time to do this. So, again, a lot of us are concerned, but he's the president. The State Department of Health is uh, posting case and death rate data on its website daily, but some argue that there isn't enough data made available by the department, including data on testing being done by private labs, uh, demographic data of those infected, and hospitalization data like the number of ICU beds or ventilators in use. As chair of the Committee on Homeland Security in the, in the House of Representatives, do you think that, that this level of transparency is adequate considering we've seen other states produce this data? And if it's not adequate, 
can you compel the health department to be more transparent? Well, uh, the one thing we do is we coordinate the response uh, with state and locals. Uh, the governor's office, uh, he appoints the MEMA director. He appoints the state health officer for Mississippi. Uh, I can't understand why uh, we wouldn't want this information. Uh, I think it's important from a planning perspective. If you are ordering uh, PPE uh, items, uh, all that formula uh, is needed in order to determine exactly what's needed. So if I'm not getting all the available data presented, uh, I think it's uh, in the interest of uh, transparency. It provides a disservice to the people who want to help. So we're going to follow through. Uh, and ask for a more detailed uh, itemization of, of the number of beds uh, that are there and other things. But, but again, that's a decision that the state of Mississippi has determined uh, that they will not provide uh, that information. Congressman Thompson, the Democrat from Bolton, and the representative of Mississippi's 2nd Congressional District. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Coming up, how the Mississippi Medical Association is responding to challenges presented by the coronavirus. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. I'm Karen Brown. The coronavirus pandemic is presenting new challenges to physicians and clinicians statewide. The communicable transmission of the virus is leading clinics to adapt new ways of screening patients. Dr. Clay Hayes is the president of the Board of Trustees for the Mississippi Medical Association. He shares how practices across the state are modifying the way they see patients. The challenge is, is we don't know who is uh, symptomatic uh, or has a care, you know, be a carrier. Uh, they may be asymptomatic, and so we don't want people going to waiting rooms and potentially being infected. Uh, we we have to figure out a way to take care of people that have chronic needs, and that's I think that that's a very important part of how we take care of Mississippians. How are doctors in Mississippi handling that process? So we're learning on the job very fast about how to use telemedicine, uh, and even in my own practice, I'm a cardiologist, and we have shifted all of our patients out of the office uh, to their homes. And, you know, this may be an innovation that uh, is for the better. Uh, this is very patient-centric. And uh, we get a chance to um, talk to them where they are, and they're not having to have the um, the struggle that they have to get to the office. Oftentimes they have to get a time off work or they have to get a family member to bring them to the to the office, and so we're meeting them where they are, and that actually may be a very good thing. And with this, the symptoms are pretty clear. I know there's a list, but there are there are some at the top of the list, like fever and cough and and uh, trouble breathing, perhaps. That's right. So the fever initially, we said any, anybody that had a fever of 100.4 uh, or higher, that that would that was an indication that they potentially could have COVID. But now it's really any fever. We've learned that it could be any fever, shortness of breath, cough, sometimes upset stomach seems to be another symptoms that 
that people have uh, that could be a uh, potential uh, symptom for COVID. We've also heard of a symptom of losing the sense of taste or smell. Is that common or uncommon? Uh, that's uncommon, uh, but it may be becoming more common as we more people become infected. Are most doctors in Mississippi in their practice, do they have uh, access to the tests and can give the tests to their patients? Not yet, but we're working on that. That's one of the things that we had a critical shortage of, but we are currently working with the health department to get those tests out to the proper providers. And also MEMA has been very good about getting those tests out. So uh, we're working harder to get more tests to more people. In the meantime, where where are doctors sending their patients who need to be tested? Well, there are various locations, and if you go look at the State Department of Health website, they can give you uh, those in, uh, places and identify those places where the tests are being done. I know that people have to have an appointment in order to get tested. Does your doctor uh, make that appointment or send the order that you should be tested? Yes, and so what the best thing to do is to call your doctor, and they can uh, steer you in the, the proper place to go. Uh, also, people that don't have a doctor, I know uh, the university is trying to have uh, testing, and they're using the mobile app with C Spire. Uh, that's another option for people to go get tested down at the fairgrounds, but they do have to make an appointment on the app to uh, to, to make sure that they're properly tested. I imagine there are instances where someone walks into their doctor's office and announces, I think I have COVID-19. Are doctors prepared for that situation and how to react? Yes, they are. And and to be honest with you, what they're doing is they have staff on, most places uh, have staff on site, but they may have the door locked with a message on the door. If you think you have COVID, please call this number and they'll call inside to the office. So the waiting rooms are closed, but they're being very creative while to have the patient say outside or in their car and calling in, and then they can unlock the door and have the patient come in to be tested. They're trying to limit the amount of exposure that other people may have. So that's being very creative about how to, to make sure they take care of patients and not infect others. One of the most insidious elements about this are the number of people who are asymptomatic who are infected. Can a doctor determine there may be an infection if there are no symptoms? If somebody's at the doctor's office for some other reason, is there a way for the doctor to determine whether they're infected or not? Not really. Uh, the only thing you might could do is, is to take a history. Uh, so, for example, if they're a family member of somebody who's infected or a coworker that it's in close proximity, they might ask them to be test- tested. But more than likely, they'll ask them to be self-quarantined because, again, we, we don't have enough tests yet today, but hopefully we'll get that those uh, manufacturing companies to make those tests so we can start testing more people. Do doctors in private practice or in a clinic need to have the same PPE as other doctors in the hospital setting? Not necessarily. Um, so, for example, there are different types of PPE. So N95 masks are are probably the best filtering type of mask, and those basically are used for people that have high exposure, whether they're in the hospital or whether they're in the outpatient setting. So, uh, for example, the people at the university at fairgrounds, since they know the chance of them being in contact with a COVID-19 patient, they are going to weigh PPE and a lot more uh, of that um, um, suit, so to speak, Uh, whereas somebody else who has a low exposure 
they they don't necessarily need to wear all the get up the 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 suit goggles mask etc they may just can do a surgical mask or something like that um as the president of the board of trustees for the Mississippi State Medical Association are you hearing from doctors are you are there concerns that you're hearing to address uh absolutely you know everyone is concerned and how do they protect themselves i mean the the healthcare provider workforce uh, is limited, and we have the fewest number of doctors in the country. Uh, other states are asking for volunteers uh, because they just can't handle the amount of um, cases that are coming in, and so they're worried. And how do we protect the healthcare providers here? And so that's the question about, um, you know, what to do. What you know, do we have enough PPE for all the healthcare providers? And we're working on that and trying to get the. Uh, people in a safe environment? How do we communicate with the hospitals? These are the questions that we're answering, and we're working with the health department to do that and working with the governor's office. Uh, we have regular um, conference calls with the uh, with the state health department officer, Dr. Dobbs, on every Friday at 4 o'clock. Uh, we, we have a Facebook Live educational uh, update, so we're working hard to get that information out to, to the physicians. Dr. Clay Hayes, again, president of the Board of Trustees for the Mississippi State Medical Association. Thank you so much, Dr. Hayes. Thanks so much. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Stay tuned for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10, it's Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey. And at 11, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio.